Remain standing with me for the scripture reading this morning. We're continuing on in this series, Longing for a King. Pastor Andy will be preaching out of this passage this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 27, some of 28, 29, and 30. Follow along as I read this passage this morning. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David rose and went over, he and six hundred men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, and he and his men, and every man in his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your sight, in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns, that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Echish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. For those were the inhabitants of the land from old, as far as Shur, to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. And when Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, against the Negeb of Judah, or against the Negeb of the Jeremilites, or against the Negeb of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, so David is done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to the people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant, in those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. This is the word of God. Thank you. Pray with me. Lord, we come to you now thanking you for your word. It illumines our heart. It teaches us to hear, to listen to what your spirit speaks to us. Lord, as we see David's life, we know that he had lost his way, felt the pressure of being hunted by Saul, but you preserved him as you do preserve your anointed ones. Lord God, I pray now as you be with Pastor Andrew as he preaches, may we hear these words as the Spirit speaks to us. We ask all this now in the strong name of Jesus. 
Amen. You may be seated. I'm not very good with <coughs> sermon titles. Um, some of you remember Steve Holliday. He was always really clever with his sermon titles. Uh, I have no such gift. Um, I did think about titling this, ser- uh, this sermon, though, um, That Time When David Dechurched. Uh, some of you uh, are aware of the term dechurching. It's, it's in our you know, podcast world, book world, all of these different things. Uh, they estimate that 40 million Americans at one time had a, a regular attendance in church, and then for one reason or another, and, and by regular I mean like weekly, like whenever they could get there type thing, um, and then for one reason or another they have, have stopped going. Uh, the categories are different. Some, some people have just sort of gotten out of the habit with COVID or something like that. They, they still believe in God. They fully expect to be back in church at some point. Uh, other people are, are deconstructing, which is a different term than de-churching. Deconstructing has to do with you know, a, a set of beliefs that I once held, I, I no longer believe, and I'm moving away from those things. Uh, we, we look at that and, and we wonder about what's going on, and, you know, there's, there's lots in our current cultural milieu that maybe points to that. We're in a post-Christian world, and uh, there are so many things in our culture that, that divide us, and uh, you know, they mentioned COVID. There could be a lot of reasons why somebody de-churches, but one of the things that I find interesting is that it, it's an old, old story. Uh, This is not something new, it's not something that's taken God by surprise, it's not like, oh, there's a whole new category in people's hearts that we've never seen before. No, we we see this sort of thing all the time, and I would contend that these uh, couple of chapters here, uh, we maybe see some of these same uh, tendencies in the life of David. Now you say, David, how, how can that be? David is a man after God's own heart. David is the anointed of Israel. But as we're going to see, uh, people who love the Lord, uh, people who uh, are even called to great things uh, by God struggle. And they, they lose their way at times. Uh, part of what we understand by the scriptures is that this is not a book of virtues. Uh, we're, we're not called, you know, we're not given these sort of ideals and then are therefore called to live or be like David or be like Samuel or anything like that. We're given people. Uh, and we're told the story of the gospel, a story where, where people wander and people find themselves broken and, and people are brought back by God. And this really begins to help us think about the story that we're going to encounter. So we're going to be looking at from chapter 27 to chapter 30, verse 6, roughly. Uh, and he, you know, just give you the broad contours of the story. So, 
as you remember, in chapter 26, David actually stands tall uh, against Saul, uh, and uh, he, he trusts in the Lord. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. Uh, but then in chapter 27, he, he loses faith. Uh, he goes over to the Philistines, and he stays there for 16 months, for a year and four months, we're told in the text. During that time, David is fighting uh, on behalf of the Philistines, uh, he is also engaged in some duplicity. We'll talk about that a little bit more later as well, where he's telling Akish, the, the king of Gath, uh, who incidentally, David's been to him before. You remember David had his madman experience in front of Akish. I, I do wonder a little bit about Akish. I should have known something was up here, but uh, anyway, uh, David... Um, David also is fighting against Israel's enemies, but telling Achish that he's fighting against Israel. Uh, it gets him in a really difficult spot because as the Philistines are gathering for battle, you saw this just at the end of 27, the beginning of 28, you see that Achish says, David, I like what you're doing. I want you to be my bodyguard. I want you to be in a prominent place as we go to fight Israel. Well, that's no good. I mean, here's David, the anointed of the Lord. He cannot hold this prominent place to go and to fight Israel. This is a real pickle for him. And then the narrator presses pause uh, at 28.3, and he tells us about uh, Saul going to consult the witch at Endor, which Michael is going to take us through next week. And then we pick up David's story again in 29. Uh, so 29.1 to 36, we see how God actually delivers David from this pickle that he's in with Achish and the battle against the Israelites um, and, and takes us to his return to Ziklag where he finds the city burned, uh, everybody taken into captivity. A and then I would contend the narrative ends with verse 6 when David seeks the Lord again. And I say again because one of the things that's characteristic from 27.1 to 30 verse 5 is David engaging the Lord. You know, all throughout the, neighbor, uh, the narrative uh, over this time, we're hearing things like, and David inquired of the Lord, and, and David sought the Lord, and David was strengthened in the Lord, but that is noticeably silent here. Uh, David is not seeking the Lord. So what's going on with David? How can we think about this in terms of our own lives? Because let's face it, we, we are all on a journey like David. We, we feel hard-pressed. We feel uh, like we're struggling. Sometimes we feel like we're sinking uh, down beneath the waves. What does that look like? Where do we turn? How do we, uh, how do we navigate and make our way through this morass? So if you look at uh, verse 1 of chapter 27, we, we pick up the, the heart's despair in the outline. I, I will say that you know, there, there are a couple of verses in this chapter that are in this narrative that are really worthy of reflection. You know, sometimes... 
You have different kinds of candy in the world. You have those nasty sugar sticks uh, that you can fill up and you can just, you know, drink down your sugar. You get your immediate buzz and maybe you get a little sick from eating that much sugar at once. Uh, But then you also have like the hard candy, Uh, the hard candy that you have to, you know, put in your mouth and you have to suck on it and you have to savor it and, and you're extracting more and more flavor. A couple of these verses here are, really come to us as hard candy. Uh, and 27.1 is, is one of them. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. Again, I mentioned sort of the incongruity of this verse with the end of chapter 26. 26, things are going well. David has been like connected to his God. He had these circumstances aligned where his men were saying, here is Saul given into your hand, go ahead and take his life. And David said, no, I trust the Lord. I cannot raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. God is giving him these assurances that he's with him, Saul's spear, Saul's jug, the tassels from Saul in chapter 24. Uh, He actually has the very last words of, of chapter 26, Saul said to David, blessed be you, my son David, you will do many things and succeed in them. So David went his way and Saul returned to his place. After all of this blessing, 27.1. Then David said in his heart, now I shall perish. What, what is going on here? You know, and, and is this reality? It's interesting to me how you read some commentators and trying to make sense of, of chapter 27 and how does it fit. Some people want to sort of whitewash David. Some people want to say, well... David is, is uh, you know, moving according to the Lord, and, and David is actually doing the Lord's will here. I don't think that's what's going on at all. Uh, David is struggling. David is feeling the alienation from his God. David is beginning to, to listen to the lies of the tempter uh, that are coming in, and he's placing these thoughts in his head. And notice that they don't stay in his head. It's an interesting turn of phrase there. Then David said in his heart. You know, these things that had begun as as thoughts going across the, the arena of the mind took up residence in his heart. It took up lodging there. And he's saying to himself, I shall perish by the hand of Saul. That was not God's testimony to him. God's testimony was, you are going to be my king. But David is believing something different at this point. He is believing that he is going to die. Furthermore, he he takes that thought even farther, gets more extreme with it. There's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the Philistines. Come on, David. This is not what God's plan is for you. How can you say that it's better for you to be among the Philistines? What is going on in your mind and in your heart? Some of you have been part of 
12-step programs. And uh, maybe you've come across this term, uh, stinking thinking. Uh, when, when, when the thoughts of our mind just become so toxic to ourself, and we begin to repeat them over and over and over again. Well, you don't have to be addicted to a substance or have a sexual addiction or any of these types of things to have stinking thinking. We, we all struggle with this. David is struggling with it at this time. When the circumstances of life, and, and let's be honest, I mean, it's tough for David. He's on the run. He's tired. He's fatigued. He, uh, it's been a long time. We, we said it's some 16 years that David is on the run. There, there are a lot of circumstances that are understandable why David is going in this direction. But he does allow himself to go in this direction, and he does allow himself to take these thoughts and they lodge in his heart. This is one of the reasons why, you know, the Scriptures constantly are saying, take heed to what you think. You know, conform your thoughts to the... the, the will of God. Don't be conformed or, or transformed by the world around us. Uh, there's that passage where, where Paul talks about, uh, you know, whatever the tuner plays, at least that's my little thing to remember it, whatever is true, noble, right, the tuner, uh, plays pure, lovely, admirable. If anything, because it's an EP, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about these things. You know, that, that's what Paul is saying. You cannot allow the stinking thinking to go on in your head. You, you have to think about things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, saturate yourself in those. Think about those things. Savor those things. Allow those things to take up residence in your heart and lodge there. Because if we allow ourselves to go in a different direction, and we all struggle with it, David is struggling with it here, if we allow ourselves to go in a different direction, then it will manifest itself in our own devices. So stinking thinking leads to dubious doings. Uh, the, the second thing here, or the second point, is uh, what, our, what our heart despairs, our head begins to devise ways out of it. And, and David's way out of it, as we've already noted, is to escape to the Philistines. Uh, there's nothing better for me than I should go to the, uh, the Philistines. He, he's looking for escape. He doesn't want to go through the wall that he's at, this wall of running from Saul, this wall of trusting David, he wants to find a way around it. He wants to find some temporary security. He wants to find a, a place where he can rest. Uh, he, he wants uh, his own ease, and he says, I know how I'm going to do it. Boop, 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 danger. <laughs> you know, when we become so convinced that we know how we're going to do it, you might be stepping out on a limb that cannot hold your weight. And sure enough, for, for David, the text tells us he arose and he went over to the Philistines. That's not just a, um, 
Uh, that's not just a note of location. Right? David went over. He gave himself over at some level to these greater desires. I mean, the, God wanted him to continue to be a man after his own heart. He wanted him to continue in intimacy with him, trusting him in the midst of it. And David says, I, I'm going over. I'm going over to safety, security. I'm going over to rest. And I think about that, you know, just that tendency to want to escape, to not go through the wall, to want to go around it, to go over it, to go under it, anything but through it. We, we want to go around these things, and we give ourselves over to things that begin to make sense to us. They begin to seem practical to us. Uh, we give ourselves over to the promise of a good life. You know, if you work hard, uh, then you'll gain a certain amount of wealth, and then you will be happy, then you will be secure. We, we give ourselves over to these things. You know, we're thinking about college and that time in life when, when young people are figuring out who they are in the world, or at least it's being put to the test. Oftentimes, go over to, to the Philistines, everything that the world has to offer. You know, if you really want happiness, live this way, party hard, pursue these things, find this type of mate, and if you just do those things, then, then you're going to be happy. But these things are all Philistia. Uh, these, the, sometimes Philistines look good. I mean, as we read through this, the Philistines... You know, once you begin to understand how they are culturally, they're educated, they're wise, they're bringing a certain amount of culture to what otherwise might be kind of a barbaric land. Uh, sometimes Philistia looks good, and, and it seems to make sense on the surface, and so we go over. Can you see that in your own life? And I'm talking to everybody here. I mean, I'm not just talking to young people or college students. I mean, we can do this even in our old age. You know, I'm just going to go over. Like, this, this life has gotten too hard for me to continue to pursue after an intimate relationship with God. I'm just going to watch TV. I'm just going to pass the time. Uh, I, I'm going to give myself over to promises that don't come from Yahweh, uh, but they come from the world around us. The, the thing that's interesting, though, when we give ourselves over is we're forced into this life of duplicity. And you see it with David here. I mean, David has got a foot in both worlds. He, he still sort of knows and is hanging on to this idea that he's the anointed king of Israel. And so he's living in Philistia, but he is trying to fight against Israel's enemies. Uh, he's going out and, and is forcing him into a pretty radical battle strategy where they are killing every single person so, so word doesn't get back to Akish that he's actually fighting uh, against uh, Philistine foes. Now, this is problematic for a, a lot of folks, and we've talked a little bit about sort of warfare in the Old Testament and, and God's judgment. You know, we have testimony in the Old Testament about the sin of the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hittites and the Givites and, you know, all of the different ites uh, and, and how that raised up. So there's 
justice that's going on here. None of these people are completely innocent. And God does use his, his people as sort of portents of a, a promised judgment. Uh, so we can talk more about that. If you have questions about it, I'm happy to engage that. We don't want to just, you know, go over these things. God is a God of justice, and, and we think about that. Uh, but we also recognize that God oftentimes uses crooked sticks to strike straight, straight blows. So there, there are good things happening here from Yahweh's perspective in terms of this judgment being visited on a people who deserve it. But that does not mean that David is doing the right thing. Uh, and, and we have this all the time in our lives. Uh, you know, we, we can be acting in a way that's rebellious and God can still use us. I, I think about... Um, a, a testimony that, that I heard of, of all of these people who were uh, at a, a drug party. It was an ecstasy party. And, and all partaking of this. And, and in the course of that, somebody who had a church background shared the gospel with another guy uh, who had no church background. And, and this guy ended up becoming a Christian. So does that mean that we should go to drug parties? And share our testimony there? Absolutely not. Uh, but we recognize that, that God can use crooked sticks to strike straight blows. And I think in some ways we see that going on with David here. But the thing that I really want to drive home is that when we go over to the Philistines, when our head is leading the way, not God, we find ourselves trying to live within two worlds. Uh, and, and things become very tricky for us. They become very duplicitous. And some of you know this because you know it experientially right now in your heart. You say, you're saying amen. People around you don't know that you know because you're doing a good job of putting on a good face. You're doing a good job of, of keeping that that sin or that temptation, your philistia, you're doing a good job of keeping it covered. But you know that it is doggone hard to try to live with a foot in both worlds. And it's really a warning to us here uh, that, that if, if, we, if we think that we can, you know, have a little bit of philistia and a little bit of Israel, you know, a little bit of Dagon and a little bit of Yahweh. You're going to find yourself fragmented like David. And you are going to be struggling to maintain any type of coherence in your life. And pretty soon, like David, it's going to come to a head. And Akish is going to be there saying, I want you you know, to be my bodyguard. And I want you to be in a prominent place as we go fight Israel. Ooh. That's not a place where we want to be. So, what's the way out? So again, you know, part of this is to say, we need help. You know, we, we are all like David, and, and our, our heart, Jeremiah says it this way, our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, there, there's a slipperiness to our heart, and, and we can easily, you know, even in the midst of so many good things, we can easily get sort of disconnected 
from where we should be going and find ourselves uh, in Gath, find ourselves in Philistia serving King Achish. What's, what's the deliverance? Strange, what did I say? Strange healing. Uh, strange providence. We've, we've been talking about God's providence all throughout this study. Chapter 29 and the beginning of 30, two things happen uh, that demonstrate to us that despite David's slowness and struggle, despite all of that, uh, God hasn't forsaken His servant. God is still with his struggling, duplicitous, going over to the Philistines guy. Uh, two things. The first is this. Uh, pagan kings. You know, God uses the, the pagan kings who are friends of Achish. If you haven't read chapter 29 and, and 30, I encourage you to go through, read it. You know, take out that section in 28, but just read it through, 27.1 to 36. Uh, and when you come to chapter 29, Achish is saying, okay, here's David. He's going to be our bodyguard. And the other Philistine kings are like, are you crazy? Don't you know who this is? This is David. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. There is no way that we are having David go into battle with us. Akish really, you know, contends for David. Uh, I'm sure David is like, yes, this is exactly what I need. Here's the out that I've been longing for. The other kings prevail. David is disappointed before Akish, but then he is also released to go home. And I think, you know, this, this is exactly how God works in our lives so often. This is, you know, what I might call here God in the shadows. Uh, God sees the trouble that his servant is in, and without David asking him, uh, without David being aware that God is at work in his life, God begins to work in his life. And the way that he does it is with people who could care less about Yahweh. These are, are pagan kings. They're worshiping Dagon. They're worshiping the gods of Philistia. But God says, you know, they are my instruments to affect my will. I think some of you can probably be test, you know, be give testimony to that fact. You know, I mentioned the the guy sharing his testimony in a drug-induced haze. You know, God God can use anybody or anything. They don't need to be have their knee bent to the Lord in order for God to use them. God can use the the hardest heart in order to provide a way forward for his servant. This is incredibly encouraging to us. Think about, you know, some of you have, have friends and loved ones. Uh, some of you have kids who have walked away from the Lord, and your heart is broken for them. You see them outside of Christian community, and you wonder, you know, how is it that God is going to work in their hearts? It's no problem for God. You know, God can use anyone to accomplish all of His holy will. And so we keep holding those loved ones before the Lord, and we trust that God can work in the shadows of our loved ones' lives, and we also believe that He works in the shadows of our lives as well. Uh, you know, God is always at work on your behalf. 
in order that his will will be accomplished. In this case, that David would, uh, would, would ascend to the throne. The second thing, really, that we see in terms of this strange healing is in, in chapter 30. When David and his men came to Ziklag, uh, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag, burned it with fire, taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, carried them off, and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with them raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. The second way that God oftentimes heals us is by allowing the bottom to drop out of our lives. David had put his faith in Ziklag. Ziklag was the place where he could find security. Ziklag was the place where he could find rest. Ziklag was where he had his community. Uh, Ziklag is where he exercised his leadership. Everything was wrapped up in Ziklag of, Phil of Philistia. But it's gone. God is not only the God of the shadows, He's also the God of the storms. And He comes and He wipes it all away through the Amalekites. So David, the anointed king, is standing before the city, weeping his eyes out because everything that he had in life is taken away from him. His city, his people, his leadership, his reputation. If you look ahead in verse 6, you see that all of his people want to kill him. He has absolutely nothing left. And it's then that he finally turns and seeks the Lord. We'll look at that in, in just a moment. But this is part of God's strange healing. He often works by taking away those things that we've built our life on, those things that we are, are hoping for, whether it's our wealth or whether it's our relationships. He, he, he shatters sort of the things that we have looked at as foundations, and he says, the only thing that will stand is me alone. And until you understand that, David, you're going to be constantly flailing around and building your life on things. As we've said, you know, David went over to Philistia. Philistia can be good things. It, I mean, it, it can be the church, religion. Like, you can build your life on that. But if it's church or religion without God and an intimacy with, with Yahweh in the center of that, it too can be taken away. You know, and that's part of this dechurching issue is so many people seeing all of that taken away and they're disappointed and they've got to figure out, you know, was it religion? Was it church that I was after? Or was it God? Was it intimacy with Him? You know, when God takes these things away, we ask the question. I recently uh, was having a conversation with somebody not from this church, young man, uh, and he was sharing his testimony with me. Uh, and it was a testimony of a lot of the things that we had talked about. He had gone over to Philistia, the Philistia particularly of sexual addiction. And, and it had manifested itself in deep pornography, deep 
Uh, I mean, working out in, in other encounters as well. But he was also active in his church. He was also married. He also had kids, and he had this, you know, whole other part of his life. So there was that, that deep divide, that deep duplicity. On the one hand, if you would meet this young man, you'd say, that's the guy. You know, we make a great deacon, make maybe a great elder one day. We see all of this thing. But he knew that he was rotting away on the inside until it all was in peril. Everything came out. His relationship was in peril. His reputation was in peril. All of those different things. Uh, but his testimony was, God saved me through my sexual addiction. Uh, not saved me from my sexual addiction, but he saved me through it. You know, it was the means that, that God used in his life to reveal to him that it had to be only Yahweh. That there, there is nothing else that he can build his life on. And David gets this. Look at verse 6. This is, this is just a treasure. Uh, David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because everybody was bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He... Here we see what God was after from the beginning. You know, God isn't after somebody who just follows the rules. God isn't after somebody who can maintain appearances. God is after the heart of His servant who will seek Him and, and strengthen Himself in the Lord, His God. There's an intimacy there. Uh, that is spoken of. And God says, this is what I'm longing for. You can take all of that other stuff, uh, the religion, the faithfulness, you can take all of that. It's not that it's not important, but what is central is that we find communion, that we find community, that there is intimacy between a, a, a woman and her God between a man and, her, and his God. This is what is being put forward here. And notice that for David, and, and this is true for all of us as we consider our journey in Philistia, for David, what is necessary is not that he figure it out. And a lot of us are here this morning saying, i, I got to figure this out. If I can only master these few steps, then that's not what God is after. What God is after from David is that he stops trying to figure it out. That he becomes undone. Jack Miller, um, here's my quotes. Uh, Jack Miller, who is a, a pastor, theologian, he says, Repentance has nothing to do with what we have done. Rather, it is our coming undone with respect to all human striving, followed by going outside of our faith, ourselves in faith to Christ alone. This is exactly what is happening to David. David is saying, God, I am undone. I have nothing to offer, nothing in my hands I bring simply 
to thy cross I cling. That is my only hope. And that's the invitation week by week. You know, as we come, we have our time of repentance in the service. It's a time for us to become undone. And to, to look afresh to the promises that are in the gospel, to hear afresh that I see you and I have worked in your life. It's what I have done, God says to us, not, not what you have done. That's, that's the difference. That's a fundamental difference between the gospel and religion. Religion focuses on what we have done, and there's so many people that are walking away from that But the gospel says, God is at work on your behalf. And and what you need to realize is that you have nothing to offer. And then you will enjoy fellowship with the Lord, your God. There will be an intimacy and a joy there uh, as we find our fulfillment in him. You know, we, we stand here this morning and we look at David. And again, it's not be like David. Uh, because David, he's needy. He, he has, he, he's in greater need of somebody to step in and to deliver him from this morass that he finds himself in. God does it through his strange providences, but great David's greater son is ultimately the one who stands, weeps over a city, Uh, who loses all of his relationships, his followers turn on him, Uh, they want to uh, stone him, see that he's killed. Uh, They they recognize, Jesus uh, says, I'm going over to the enemy, but he doesn't go over to the enemy like David to escape his troubles. He gives himself to the enemy in order that he might die a righteous death on a cross in order that David and you and me might live. And that is what this story leads us to. David really struggles, um, but David allows himself. David is found by the Lord his God. So where are we today? On the one hand, I don't know. Some of you maybe are right in the middle of that duplicity. And, and God in His kindness is, is calling you out today. Um, some of you are, are in the midst of despair and you're thinking about going over to the Philistines or, or you're looking at wealth or relationships or all of these other things as a place where you're going to find security or success or whatever it might be. You know, God in His kindness is saying, be careful. You, you, you might find yourself getting more than you bargained for. But God is also saying to us, I see you. I, I see you. And, and I'm at work in this world. And I'm at work for your good. Even in the shadows, even in the storms, you know, I am still continuing to work. Will you respond? Will you strengthen yourself in the Lord? Will you seek after me? And then we stand as a community and we give testimony, not to what we have done. Hey, look at us. We're we're here on a Sunday. We've got it all together. Don't we look great? No, we give testimony 
to what God has done in our lives. And that is our great privilege. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for how it comes to us and, and really uh, unveils us. We, we stand in the x-ray uh, of your word and, and we're revealed for what really goes on in our hearts. So, Lord, we pray that you would bring us to yourself, uh, that you would work that gift of repentance Uh, Not that we would hide, but that we would truly be undone before you. Uh, And Father, we do pray for the testimony of this good news to go forward. And and we pray that that people throughout Grand Rapids, uh, through Kalamazoo, uh, throughout the world uh, would would be brought to the, the, the throne room of a Savior. We love them and died for them. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.